0: And once you fail, you don't have to be fearful of failure. You just start over again. What I say to people all the time, if you're fearful, do it in fear. You don't have to feel confident. You can do it scared. That was Laura
1: Herring, author of No Fear Allowed. Hi, I'm Nancy Scanlon-Coppler, and welcome to Woman Overboard. Have you ever been told that you go overboard? Or maybe you have a friend, a partner, or a crazy aunt who overdoes it at the holidays? Someone who is overly ambitious, overly excited, and gets overwhelmed because she tends to overdo everything? Well, welcome to my world. I'm Nancy Scanlon-Koppler, and this is Woman Overboard, a show about women, leaders, mothers, and entrepreneurs who are dedicated to making a difference. My guests would not be where they are today without being the overachievers that they are. Women who I believe put a positive spin on the words, woman overboard. Today,
0: my guest is a business entrepreneur, teacher, counselor, psychologist, woman of achievement, community activist, volunteer, generous philanthropist, and a breast cancer survivor. She's the founder of her own multi-million dollar global career development and relocation firm, actually called Impact Group. Her has been making an impact her entire life. She's the author of No Fear Allowed, in which she shares the successes and failures of growing her company, and it's a must read for all entrepreneurs. Wow, welcome to Women Overboard. Forty. name's Nancy. It's so much fun to be back together. I know. I love it. I love seeing you. I love seeing you. We were... I hate to say how far back we went, but we were a freshman together at Western University. And do you recall what we did we went against each other for class president? Yes, maybe the audience can guess, forgetting your bio. We <laughs> Yeah, but the thing is, I had advantage. I lived on campus, and you were a commuter. Had you lived on campus, you would have won. Well, no, I was probably busy. Uh, Outdating or something. Well, you, you. were campaigning door to door. i got your on and I, after reading your book, I see how hard you work for that position. And I have so many questions. I don't even know where to begin. And your your book reads like a novel. I can only say it's not only for entrepreneurs. It's for everybody out there. Thank you. First of all, what gave you the idea to start your company? Of relocating spouses. Well, I started out as a teacher, and during the year, there would always be new kids. And then I started as a psychologist in private practice, and I kept hearing stories of corporate executives moving into St. Louis, and their spouses would come into me, and they were furious. I had to give up my job to follow him again. This is our 22nd move. Our fifth move I'm tired of this I've left my job. the anger and then subsequent depression, and then the loneliness would sit in and as a result, what would happen they would turn to me and say, "How can you help me so one day, I just said to Mike, We have to change the way corporate America moves employees, and he did but that's we were talking together, and we were both in the theater department. What made you decide to switch from theater? And did you go into business or into counseling from there? Well, first of all, I wasn't you. I couldn't <laughs> sing. I couldn't dance. I couldn't be drama. And in fact, one of the things one of the professors said is, Laura, you're really good at comedy. And since there were only two plays in the whole world that were female communications, I said I think I have a limited career here. So the second part of that was I decided my junior year to go over to Vienna and study psychology. And so once I was there I took classes from Anna Freud's students and I really got immersed in psychology. So when I came back they told me I had to take my new year over again, if I wanted theater arts. And I said, "No, nah, don't think so. So that's why you got into the college at Mariana in Vienna. So there was somebody at Webster that directed you there for that no. reason? Absolutely not. Uh, Webster had no Vienna campus at the time. It wasn't uh, like a Webster campus for 40 years later. So the good news is, and I really do believe this, I was on my own, had to mix with 80 other students from around the country, and I took, this is really funny, I took these classes in German and only had six weeks of German, so I really only understood every other word, which right? right. I, I just dove in and made yeah. it up the rest. Who you know, I might have re- rewritten Skander Schattel- Freud's philosophy, but anyway, what I'll tell I you is that, well, I'll tell you psychology became my first love, and I'll tell you why. It was the 60s when we were at Westview College then, and what happened was I was struck by the president at the time, Jacqueline Grennan, Sister Jacqueline Grennan, and she was passionate about making a difference in the world, and that became my mantra after I heard her speak year after year. I said, that's my mantra. I want to make a positive difference in this world. So that's why I started teaching, and I became a high school counselor, and then I became a psychologist with the sole purpose of making a difference in other people's lives. And maybe giving a little background on what, what you did. When I was a freshman at Webster, as you probably recall, And nurse would stop us in the hall, and we'd have the new to kneel down so that our spurts would touch the floor and get to tension. But it we graduated. But the school was secular. There were as many boys in the school as there were girls. Now, all the girls were The boys here were girls. What a transition we went through. Oh my gosh. And you know what? That, in and of itself, was so encouraging. It meant nothing stays the same forever. And it gives me freedom to be anything I can be and change my mind later on. I've had seven careers. And then what I'm talking to students about all over the country in commencement addresses is just that: who you are now will not be who you will be, and that's okay. You say in your book a lot, "act as if." That's one of your mantras. Mm-hmm. And of course, I thought, does that come from your acting background? Explain that a little bit. What you mean? "Act as if" comes from, believe it or not, thought therapy which is a therapy that tries to integrate a whole person. And what the basis of that concept is, if you don't have confidence, don't you look like, sound like, and act like If you did have confidence? So for me, I want you to act as if you have confidence, and then they perform for me what they believe act as if. Actually looks like. So that they leave there that day with an anchor within themselves that, if ever confident, I'd act like this. And so they practice it enough, and all of a sudden they became it. They became confident. Okay, so that's easy for you to say because you're somebody who walks in the room and as your husband says, take hey, that's not my strength, i explain what you mean by that. In other words, you are an actress by nature. So... You know, I think what I am is, I think I'm dramatic. And, you know, I think I'm very genuine, because if I feel something, you know, I feel it passionately, just like you do. I think that's why we were such good friends in college. Oh, absolutely. I know I you didn't intimidate me, I didn't intimidate you. In fact, I would say, I want to be like Nancy. And that is a great feeling to want to be like your best friend. And I want to be like you, but know, I only make $50 million. I'm sorry. I'm all I'm right. So you think they to be taught. I Are you kidding? I had, a prof- I had so many kids in high school that I had to help shape their self-confidence. I had to literally talk them off the edge. And I might even say, I'm a suicide, and I would say to them, Mary Joe, how would I handle this situation? So what it does, it takes them out of their sense of self, puts them into a fear, not into their fear in their heart. They go, Well, you would and then they would give up and I would say, Pretend to be me right now. Let's not jump over the edge and let's figure this out. But when it how up with this because you talk about this in your book about how they seized you, the other teachers, you were in the genes, and they thought, oh, she's be sorry to get off your about drugs. How were you so readily able to do that? And, be, and was it because of your background in Vienna, the, the psychological studies that you did? That's a great question. No one has asked me that. You know what it is? I love kids. I really do. And kids listen to me because I genuinely care about them and what they have to say. Every Thanksgiving, Mike and I spend probably half a day talking to our 20- and 30-year-old nieces and nephews, helping them get to the next stage of their life because no one else is asking them. We genuinely care. So for me... If those teachers at the time who were 50 and 60 thought this 24-year-old could help, I was there. I mean, I was there. But something happened that made me leave the teaching profession. And one of the things I thought was so funny, when they said, they came in to review you, they said, you writes." loud on the blackboard, and then we were getting together with to parents at six in the morning, and I said oh, we're overachieving, making the other teachers look bad. Right? Absolutely, what happened? And what I realized, I couldn't bring my best self to teaching. I was getting criticized for it, and the head of counseling was just a do nothing. And for me, that was driving me crazy. And so I said, okay. And in fact, this is the true story. The day I handed in my resignation, the principal said to me, Oh, Laura, oh, Laura, you've only been a teacher for six years. Do you realize that you are giving up $15,000 a year? <laughs> a million, a million, a and so what I said to myself, Well, you know, I've been a teacher for three and a counselor for three. And I see the difference I make as a counselor more than I make as a teacher. And he said, why don't you just start a practice at night and then keep the teaching going? And I said, you know what? I've never done anything halfway. I have to jump in with both feet so that I know I'm totally committed. And did not he say, what if you fail? Yeah. And what was your answer? And I said, well... I guess I'll just dial for dollars and figure out a way. And what he said to me, Laura, well, it's that's because I've been trying to get out of teaching for thirty years. I can quote what would you said in your own block. I said, "No, I won't fail. Failure is not an option." Oh, he said, and he said, boy, and he got this. I've always won, believe, teaching for fun. Yes. I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> and he started talking into his thing, and then he's admitting to, you, I don't like this either. He left the following year. Oh my gosh. And he started, what, uh, I think mean, that's i wow, oh, you really have read that. How many times have you I've read that book? Okay, we're going to go back again to our personal story. Okay, I was in classes at the Allianz and I would come out the little back door there, and we'd always see each other occasionally. We'd go to lunch, and one day I thought like, "Wow, said, well, we've got to make a lunch date, and you were locking your office up. And he said, oh, Nancy, I'm sorry, but I'm moving. I'm closing up my business here as a counselor and starting my own business. And I was so excited to hear that, but I didn't know until now why you did that. So explain what happened from being a counselor and how that kind of pulled it into starting the impact group. Well, what happened was there was an interim step, and that was I started my private practice, which was called Laura Herring and Associates, even though it was only me. And uh, I did that. And what I realized, it took me three years to fill my book, reading, having eight clients a day. I'm just happy for a second. Talk about how you had three in one week and what happened. I read up on the floor. Oh my God, that is hilarious. Honest oh to that great story. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> As I think of it now, it's like, what would most people have done? <laughs> Some <Sometimes> better people have done this. I had three appointments that week, and now for me, that was $75. In 1976, that was a lot of money, right? That's a week's worth of groceries. So, I was so excited. And so, all of a sudden, I was always dressed, ready for my clients when the phone rang, and one of the clients canceled. Well, you can't imagine when someone says, I'm canceling, and they didn't reschedule immediately. I didn't know why I needed a 24-hour cancellation pass right now. I was just grateful. I, mean, I didn't know anyone. And so then I was so upset, I laid on the floor and cried. I can tell you what I had on. And I see <laughs> cried and cried because it's like, this is so much harder. $39 is a lot of money on the ass. And so anyway, I cried. And then I fell asleep. And I missed my next appointment because I was sound asleep on the floor. They were knocking on the outside door and I didn't open it. And then I found out they called me later and they go, Where were you? I was there. Then I became hysterical and I made it a point. Okay, this is God's way of telling me dial for dollars. And what I did is I called community centers, schools, churches, anyone, and I'd offer them a free on families, how to have a knit family, how to deal with this, how to deal with that. And I started getting bookings, bookings, and then I would hand out my cards. And within three years, I was really having a very heavy case. Laura, oh, I just love you for telling the story. And I think people need to hear this. I remember when I used to practice pieces, my mother was behind me. She would make me read this piece a hundred times until I was on the floor giving a tantrum. But you were on the floor giving your tantrum and fell asleep from the tantrum. But I think what people need to know is we're all human. Yes, all have those feelings. We all have those moments. So you ask yourself, did I make a mistake? What have I done to my family? I hadn't had children yet, so Mike was making, woo five for $6,000 as a high school counselor. So it was a huge loss of finances for my family. But you ended up building that counseling. Well, I did. Well, you know, God gives us inspiration. Mike, my husband, has always been supportive of my career. He was very happy being a high school counselor. That was not a big enough stage. I and mean, it wasn't a big enough money paycheck, you know. Um, so anyway, I asked him if I could take a certain percentage of what I brought in and go get more training. So for the first six years in private practice, I would leave six weeks a year at different times and study with the best therapist. In the country, Virginia Satir, Gestalt, and then Eric Erickson and Ericksonian hypnotists. And, and anyway, I was so blessed. And then the best part was I got another master's in neuro linguistic programming from the writers, one wow. that therapy. And I did it for six years, probably three weeks a year. And that course of study, neurolinguistics, gave me the opportunity to walk in confidently to every session knowing I had a tool chest and I could help whoever walked in. My name is
1: Kathy Ferrara, and I'm the founder of K. Ferrara Color Nail Polish. At K. Ferrara Color, we offer a curated line of 16 perfect colors for your nails. They're sophisticated and elegant. What's different about our polish is that it's formulated to protect your health. We're proud to offer vegan-friendly and cruelty-free polish with a safer, non-toxic, nine-free formula that steers clear of the harmful chemicals that are found in most other polish lines. Also, check out our new children's line of polish. Choose healthy polish for you and your children at kferraracolor.com. Use promo code WOMANOVERBOARD20 for 20% off for a limited time. That's Overboard 20 for 20% off anything on the site. And now, let's dive back into our conversation with Laura Herring. And it
0: was the people that you were counseling that gave you the idea for starting your business, right? And what you were hearing in counseling, which was how much they hated relocation, right? But before that me, and you probably don't know this, and I'm not sure I write much about it, is that after I was in practice for about four or five years, because of all my training, other therapists would send people to me. I became the therapist therapist in another way. The therapists would come to me, but they'd also send me their tough families and cases. So finally what I decided, you know what? We need to teach these people how to do it so that they can feel successful, and They were all getting their Ph.D. from WashU, and I offered them a win-win solution. I would supervise their caseloads if they would join my teaching class of counseling, consulting, and training. So I got about, let's say, 15 of them to pay for me to train them, so that was an additional source of income, and more importantly, when they graduated, I took the best eight and made them a part of my practice. So all the referrals I was getting, I did not have to take them all. I referred them to them, so then I could start my consulting. And that's where my passion was, just like you in making presentations, right? So, and you, you made your kits. Yes. yes, you had to mortgage your house, for you these thousand kits that you made. Tell me about what happened when the first customer you tried to sell them to. Um, because I was, this mm-hmm. before the internet, so you could just take up all this material yourself and not tell you how painful this was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the students just know what the kids were. Well, first of all, let me go back and say, I was fortunate enough, I was on the board of the uh, Regional Commerce and Growth Association. I was one I of two right. women in St. Louis, and I had, yes, and I was one of two women on a 30-person board. And I represented small business for 10 years, and I was fighting for them, so that was the side job I had. And I got to meet every CEO in town because they were on the board, so John McDonald was on the board. And so I got to know him personally from McDonald's, Douglas like, let say about it, CEO of the Douglas brand. So his secretary called me one day and said, uh, "Laura, John would like for you to come in and work with the spouses of our executives from all over the company. And we'd like for you to put on a seminar. This is hilarious. And yes. I don't know what this one is. Yeah.
1: And he asked, yes.
0: yes. And so she said, um, would you be willing to do that? And I said, yes. What kind of seminar would you like? Because I was already putting on no stress allowed in the workplace, no fear allowed. Uh, I was putting on several uh, long-term programs for maybe 500 to 1,000 McDonald's Douglas people. And so she said, well, no. she said, I was thinking it might be nice to teach these executive spouses how to have confidence when cocktail chatter time came. I said, Carol, what an insult. Are you serious? She said, oh, yes, I think it would build your confidence. I said, Carol, these are successful women and men in their own right. They don't want that. And she said, Laura, we're hiring you. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm uncomfortable teaching that. It doesn't go in sync with my values. So I'm going to turn that down. But if you'd like to do a stress seminar or take control through a success seminar, I'm your girl. So she hung up. I said, the way, Carol. Here's what I predict. Those spouses, if you try to teach them cocktails better, they will not show up after lunch. Going to ask me with her tail between her legs, and she said, Okay, Laura, you were right, they didn't show up. I said, How gracious of you to tell me that. I really appreciate it. How can I help you? So then I put on the take control to success. But she said, What are you going to teach? I said, Well, I don't think that's for me to decide. Let's get two focus groups together, I will interview them. And I'll find out what they want to learn. Oh, uh, there's your psychologist coming. to yeah, are right there. You know, I mm. don't want to learn. Yeah, it's the important thing, right? Not pushing something down there. So, mm. it's I don't know what you're going to do You need to stop for a pet peeve. So, you don't know what you're going to go Well, anyway, the Lord was with me. And so, one day, I went through um, these focus groups. And they wanted to you know... How to move from place to place. So the very first day, I would ask them, what's the hardest part of being a spouse of a corporate executive? Honest to God, Nancy, I went around the table. I only allowed 20 people in the seminar at a time. Our 20 said, relocation, relocation, relocation. So that's a long story as to how I decided to invest in it. So I called Carol up. Pardon me. And I asked her to set up a meeting with John McDonald. She said, Oh, she doesn't have time for meetings with you. I said, Really? I said, Okay. Well, I knew John did a seminar with the manager down the hall for me. So I said to the women and three or four men, and I said, I'll be back in about 15 minutes. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> so I hadn't done the exercise yet. So, John comes out of the meeting. I said, John, they want to meet you, and they want to just see you, and they want to share one exercise with you. Well, all right. And I said, listen, John, it'll take 10 minutes. He said, okay. So, I literally, just you one know, hand. He Right then, he didn't know what was coming. So, I said, okay, let's share with John what's the hardest part of being a corporate spouse. I had not prompted them. I just trusted that they're going to be like the other 25 groups I met. And each one said, relocation, relocation, relocation. And so I said, John, it seems you have a problem. He crossed his arms and he looked at me and he said, Laura, solve it. And that's how I got in to the Wow. That's exciting. Yeah, and I know it was a little bit of a struggle from there, which we'll get back to. It. But I want to ask you one thing about your childhood because there's something that happened in your childhood that really helped you back up emphasize, everybody, I'm not the thing I'm with that word, so well with families who were relocating. Okay? Right? So that's a great segue. Um, and it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I revisited my Memphis home. This weekend at Thanksgiving, and let me tell you, I was devastated to see it. Because you know, you think you grow up in this nice big house, and now it's a tiny little house. But we had just moved there from St. Louis. Literally, the boxes were stacked a mile high. Mom, we had five kids. Mom was trying to organize it all, and she said, "You guys just get out of the house. Let me just do this." And so I went out of the house, and there were three teenage girls, thirteen. And they were sashaying down the street. No sidewalks, just sashaying. And I said, how are you guys? And they go, Laura, wait. And they go, oh, you guys, We got here a Diamond Yankee. <laughs> I had no idea. In my mind, I'm thinking, no, we're the St. Louis Cardinals. We're not a Yankee, you know. And so I said, really? I said, well, i okay, not. Yeah. I just moved here, and uh, what are you doing? Where are you going? Well, we're going to cheerleading practice. I said, oh, can I go with you? Oh, no. We get cheerleaders in April. This is now August. Uh-uh. And then they continued walking. And I went in the house, and I said, Mom, Mom, what's a damn Yankee? <laughs> and she said, Time to tell you, but I just emptied the bookcase upstairs. There's a book called Gone with the Wind. If you read it, and I, you, by next week when you go to class, you'll know what a damn Yankee is. Now, my mother was from New Jersey, which she was a damn Yankee. She could have told me, love that you stole a page from Scott of one of Charlotte's quotes?" Yeah, Michael and I I said, "But I, I will never." be, well, I said two things, I'll never be lonely again. But I said, if I can't be popular, I'll be smart. And I made the decision right then and there. Because I was kind of average in St. Louis. You know, in grade school, you could get A's and B's and just, because all your friends just did A's and B's. But I said, okay, I'm not going to be popular here. That was obvious to me. And so I said, I'll be smart. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. Well, I mean, you are very smart, obviously, with what you've achieved, and your educational level is beyond extraordinary. But one other thing that we have in common is Catholic school upbringing, and I love the story. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. my issues with moms, and was called... Some of them, a are little scatterbrain, I'll, I'll, I'll talking all the all time. But know so i issues some of them. Some of them are wonderful, like, oh, but if you know some of them, were very stuck, yet. Yeah. But you 15, 60 years right. old. And you had... Oh, was that long ago? Like, I guess I'm like, I'm sorry, I Sister Mary Howard. Oh, my God. i lesson, but you made it a positive. What happened? Well, I decided I was 13. She was my drama coach. She wasn't particularly a warm person. She was lot of herself, and her habit would always flow behind her. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to keep a journal, and I'm just going to pour my feelings out, and I'm going to give it to Sister Mary Howard so she could read it, and maybe she could take me under her wing and kind of guide me through this high school thing called the nineteen, yeah, yeah, the relocation thing. Yeah, after relocation thing. So anyway, um, I gave a tour, and I swear, Nancy, it must have been fifty-six pages of handwritten. Aww. and I poured my heart out, and I I got it, and it was covered with red ink, and in what I later found out, some blood, because she bit her fingers. <laughs> But she corrected the grammar, she circled incomplete sentences, and she said, Laura, you're a B writer, I will always be a B writer. And she threw it at me. And I asked somebody how Howard got to read your book Well, Here's the hilarious part. She left the convent six years later and ran away with the director. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think say she got smart. <laughs> I was a teacher, so we had to run away. What, what, what <laughs> I learned from that experience was I gave her too much power because I was afraid to write after that, okay, until I got much more mature. But secondly, what I realized, okay, I might have to buckle up and do this all by myself. And that made me stronger. You work through your fear. And since that's the name of your book, No Fear Allowed. How did everybody has fear, right? It's mm-hmm. a human feeling. And, and I understand as a psychologist, you can explain the physiological why a it fear? What does your body? How do you? What does it do to our bodies, and how do we work through it? Well, it creates a fight-flight response, and it either revs you up to fight, or it scares you enough to just take off running. What I say is, let's let's take that fear and let's empower it to make you stronger. And so, what's the worst thing that can happen? I could fail, and once you fail. You don't have to be fearful of failure. You just start over again. And so for me, the fear of failure is not a reality. What I say to people all the time, do it anyway. If you're fearful, do it in fear. So you don't have to feel confident. You don't have to feel wonderful. You can do it scared. It's amazing that you say that because all of the acting that I've done in the back in my past, every time, even a lead performance, every time before I would go on stage, I felt like I was going to throw up Yeah. And I think, why am I doing this to myself? This is practice you But Because once I got on stage, the barfars went away. Once we got into it, was, I, mean, right in head, I was, I didn't remember all those things. I really questioned myself like that. But I mean, is that a normal? What do you think going to do? Is it just me? It's mean, like, so normal because people try. Some people try to make you perfect. And if you fear not being perfect, it will stop you from doing anything. And so, what you have to figure out for yourself. If I do things over and over and I keep trying different things, I'll figure out that I know how to learn. And if you know how to learn, you can keep trying and trying and trying. Great. Right? That's a lesson for everybody. So. Yeah. You used your sister, I love this, as an example for dramatizing the problems of relocation. Can you tell a little bit about her story and, and how you used her? Well, she might not. Well, knowing her, she would be listening to this. Oh. <laughs> um, I think you're talking about the sister under me who eloped on Thanksgiving Day. Was that the one? I thought you said there were, you had a sister that moved 22 times. I mean, think it's the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she loved Thanksgiving Eve. It the first move. <laughs> 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 I didn't see her. <laughs> so, <she had> her. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, she loved Thanksgiving They just celebrated. They're <laughs> oh, they are really excited. that. oh, they were not happy. But anyway, so together. They are still together after 22 moves. Oh, wow. And so one of the things I decided, this is in 1988. So I called her up. They were going to move again from Smackover, not Smackover, that time. um, I'm trying to remember I'm trying to remember exactly. It was in Iowa. And so, it's not old enough. There's not enough school years. for them to have been in three cities in each school year. It was horrible. It was horrible. And the one thing was, well, she had four kids based out. So some had already graduated, and then they would move. But she decided to go to nursing school when the little one was only three or four years old. So it took her 12 years to graduate full-time nursing because she had to keep going back to take credit. But anyway, that was very important for me to put in my product: how to transfer credits and things like this. What she did was a miracle relocating 22 times. So when they were moving from Iowa to Florida, I asked her if if I could film her, take pictures, at that time they were slide, right, of her family going through the moving process. Because I would be giving speeches and nobody really got it. Because all these HR people had never relocated. They stayed in corporate office, right? I took pictures, and I staged them. They on my video, like, right? okay, a drama background. Yeah. I did a drama background. So I had the kids closing boxes and put the longest faces you ever saw. I'm directing them. I'm directing them, and I'm clicking away. And then i am saying, okay, lean against the window and wave goodbye. And then go to the neighbor and hug them goodbye. And Matt, you Well, <laughs> <like a> <laughs> and they were truly sad. And they were like, sitting on the doorstep going like this. And i said, say, okay, now them cross their legs and, and look at pigeon-toed or something. You know, they were great. And I made 32 slides. And as a result, instead of going in and doing a pitch to corporations one-on-one, I didn't have the money, Nancy. It cost a lot of money. It cost like three and $400 for an airplane ticket at that time, right? And a hotel was $100. I didn't have that kind of money. And so um, I would ask to speak at conferences. And those conferences, I said, let me tell the story of a relocating family. So I would tell these stories. And IBM would come, and Abbott Labs would come, and Johnson & Johnson would come, Pfizer would come. All of a sudden, I had fun. if anyone, they weren't talking to me, if anyone is caught selling outside of the showroom floor, you will be kicked out. Means, what you have to understand, it costs $1,200 for a booth. I couldn't. I couldn't. It only costs $500 to go to the conference. And so I did that, um, but I couldn't afford a booth. So I said, okay, the good Catholic girl in me, I would wear the visor every day throughout the conference. And I carried the suit literally a suitcase with me, because if anybody asked, what is momentum, I'm just answering them. You know, I'm selling, I'm I'm not selling, I'm just telling them. So what would happen, and this was so delicious, Um, no one was asking me. (laughs) And the last night, I'm in a black evening gown cocktail jar. And I still had a nicer, I'm very, very nice, very grand, nice spot. And I, why, you well, I lesson. He stood out because he had just been in a car wreck and his neck was in the brace. And the reason I selected him to follow is for three reasons. One, I know through studying Thericksonian hypnosis for two mm-hmm. years that the unconscious is more powerful than the conscious. So if I went up to him, he may not feel the love. So, I mean, the second thing I learned is peripheral impact of seeing people peripherally is more important than they on Wow, you're gonna see him like in sight, so. And the other thing is to be constantly in his sight, of vision, whether he went left or right. And the third reason was because he had this neck brace on. I could figure out who well, he was in the crowd. You're welcome. I love the humor in your writing. He said, "Unfortunately for Gary, he'd been in an auto accident, but fortunately for me, I had a neck brace, like so I could spot him in the crowd." Yeah, yeah, and it really was true. And so I followed him around that whole evening, and he didn't come up to me once. Aww. I was devastated. Okay, my well, peripheral vision was bad. It could be, But anyway, the last day, he was the president of the Relocation Association. So he gave the closing speech, and I watched very carefully for the door he was going to exit to. And so I literally was in the middle of the auditorium in the middle (laughs) aisle seat and I'm like, okay, is he going left? Is he going right? (laughs) So he went right. So I ran ahead and got in front of the door and literally just locked the door and what did he do? And I said, Mr. (laughs) Margarita, and then he said, this momentum. I've seen it all over the conference. I didn't even have a book, but he all over the conference. And I said, Well, sir, we are the first only Scotland family transition firm during relocation. He stopped it. He said, Are you serious? I said, Yes. He said, We're looking for something like that. Oh, my God. Could you, here's my card, could you come up to New Jersey next week to make a presentation to me? And he said, Goodbye. And well I didn't. I said, Sir, with all due respect, are you serious? Because I don't have enough money to buy jersey if you're just shopping around and I, I was too vulnerable and we didn't have the money. He said, Yes, I promise you, I will sit down with you for an hour and a half and you could tell me all about it. So then he said, This is wonderful. We've been looking for something for our Family-friendly program in human resources. Can you come back in two weeks and present it to the two vice president I literally kind of went up to him, and I didn't, but I wanted to take his neck. I wanted to take his coattails, and I said, "Are you kidding me? Thank you," but I didn't. I said, "Sir, what do you think they would say?" He looked at me. He says, "You're gonna love it." So I came back and then I became bold. I went out and bought a white suit that looked like a Chanel, but it wasn't a knock- it was a knockoff. And I flew up there on borrowed money and I made the presentation with the slideshow, with the materials, and sealed the deal. Sealed the deal. I'll never forget the two men. They said Joe McCauskiewicz and Mike Carey, they said, this is fabulous. And they said, how much is it? Well, we didn't go into the fact that the McDonald's level deal failed, and you had a $350,000 loan on your house. I did. So now I had to pay that three fifty 350 back, 350000 So I doubled the price to 250000 per kit, plus coaching, two hundred fifty dollars per me hundred and fifty dollars per so I said sir how many do you relocate? And he said a thousand a year and I said, Well how many do you do um, every year? He said, "No, a thousand. Well, many he hemmed him he said, We really do about five thousand annually. I said, Why don't I give you a discount for five thousand? And he said Okay, and they quickly calculate that. And he said, "How do you want to be paid?" And I looked at him and I said, "Cash No. <laughs> they wrote up how they said, "You're an entrepreneur, aren't you?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And they go, "We love helping female entrepreneurs," and that was a god thing. Wow, that's amazing. And guess what, Mike and I still fly down once a year to see Jerry Duran and his wife. Right. And one of your sayings is building relationships one time one at a time, or building and impact one relationship, at one relationship. And you, in reading your book, the wealth of friends we made along the way is Phenomenal, I know. You have got a natural ability to make friends and keep friends. But for those out there who are listening, who are a little more shy, a little more reticent, don't have the moxie, the (laughs) that you have, what what do you, what kind of advice would you give them? The simplest thing, Nancy, is it's not about me. It's about their story. So I ask them their story. I say, tell me about you. What got you into relocation? How long have you been doing it? Or what got you into television? What got you into podcasting? And people want to tell their story. And then you just genuinely have to care. And then you ask them another question. And then if they say something that resonates with you, you go, you know, I see that because of this, this, and this. And then what I start doing, not intentionally, but this is my nature, is start building a bridge and you have a relationship. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm not going into politics. <laughs> I'm great president. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, people have approached me. I'm not surprised. Like um, right Mike said, the first time they uh, threw my nose in my butt too big, they were in tears. <laughs> One of the things you say repeatedly, and this is what you do in going after the president, of Joslyn Johnson, is drive toward the basket. Who, who helped you with that saying and that philosophy? Two people. Primarily my dad. My dad played basketball with me and my brother. In fact, my brother and I talked about it, and we still talk about it over the telephone, that one of the best things that he ever did was tell us to drive toward the basket, not around it, because if you go around it, you're missing your goal. But if you go toward it, People will literally get out of your way because they do not want to get hurt. And in fact, this is so true, I just met with my dear friend in high school, Sarah Kenny, who was on the basketball team with me, and she said to me, just two days ago, we were sitting in the living room, and I loved her daddy, and she goes, oh, my daddy loved you. Do you know he wanted me to be you? And I go, what do you mean? Uh, he kept telling me, why don't you do it like Laura does? So you really did play basketball, and he was your coach. Oh, so I was All-State, All-City. Uh, to be honest, All-State is not accurate. Um, it was All-City, but I represented. you uh, couldn't have played for the Webster basketball team. I don't think they we were here. He didn't even have a gym. But so what I did, it helped me earn $4,000 more because when I went from being a teacher to a counselor, they said, Well Laura, we don't we need a basketball coach more than we need a counselor. I said, I'll do both for this amount of money. They go sold. <laughs> and so that's
1: what I did. Oh, that's fabulous. Laura Herring, I've loved having you on the show today. You truly live your book, No Fear Allowed. And I want to let our listeners know that next week, you'll be sharing some very frightening experiences that really put your fearlessness to the test. So stay tuned for our next episode of Woman Overboard to hear about the love of Laura's life and her two near-death encounters that totally turned her world upside down. For more information on Laura's book, No Fear Allowed, go to laurahering.com, that's H-E-R-R-I-N-G, herringlikethefish.com, or visit our website at womanoverboard.com. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, place an ad, or comment on our show, go to womanoverboard.com or email me at nancy at womanoverboard.com. Thanks for listening.